New CNN reporting this morning about an overwhelming sense of frustration among Democrats over what is being described as mismanagement inside the Biden administration. One member of Congress calls the White House rudderless, aimless, and hopeless. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this the last best well fellas it feels back it feels great to be back in the studio absolutely i mean that was first off thank you so much to the good folks of minnesota that what was a, a hell trip. of a show what that a, was a hell trip. of a show oh my god the energy in that place yeah, huh? it was incredible i mean it didn't it didn't hurt that we had herb brooks introducing with ACDC. Still the all-time most fire intro. That was like Chicago Bulls intro theme music. <laughs> you know what? That's right. exactly, work, Ashbrook. Exactly. I, I, think it's, I think it's coming to an NHL arena near you. It has to, <laughs> right? I mean, what a beautiful entry. Uh, I had a time of my life on that. And again, thanks to everybody. It is nice to be back here, though. The one thing that I did uh, notice, Dunks. Okay. You dropped some LBs and all of a sudden we're an Insta-thought podcast. <laughs> 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 I think the people appreciated the Insta content. <laughs> you know, I know. I just I noticed that before we didn't have much of a presence. Well, I mean, we don't really travel very often, so there's not a lot of interesting stuff to post. So it has nothing to do with your image. I don't think so. I mean, for the folks who are not aware, Duncan is looking good. Duncan's oh, no, Duncan's we gotta looking. Be, we got to be. We got to be honest. Duncan's looking good. Check out that Instagram account. Find out for yourself. Yeah, right? he's is, dropped a bunch of LBs. Is there really a lot of me on that Instagram? Looks like yeah. a prowler now. Yeah, front uh, okay. and center. I would just point out I was the one taking photos, so we had good content <laughs> yeah. on during that show. But <laughs> I think excellent content. He's more Look. shredded than shredded weed right now, folks, and he's just <laughs> proud to put it on display maybe, maybe if i drop another 40 pounds we'll have an only only fans <laughs> <laughs> smug only fans i love no, that please no please no <laughs> uh today's sponsor is masterworks we'll get into that in a minute but also i thought what we would do is uh talk about our guests we have larry hogan governor of maryland on today that's right and and might i add uh he has endorsed friend of the program matthew foldy who's running for congress in in maryland's sixth district where hogan polls at 80 percent approval so yeah. that's a big endorsement yeah the whole whole yeah. team's on board for old foldy you love to you love to see it you got stefanik who's endorsed um kevin mccarthy's endorsed i feel like everybody under the sun's endorsed matthew foldy at this point yeah. well it would be a mistake not to that's right right i mean foldy is surging, that mo- surging. That the momentum is real because he's doing the hard work you know he's been on the ground doing the hard work he's been exposing david trone for not showing up to do his work uh you love to see it and you've had minions putting up like an insane number of Dude, calls for incredible foldy. the volunteer effort's been incredible did you see the video we put up on tuesday morning he went to one of trone's offices it was I locked did. there was dust on the mail collecting in front of the door it was incredible he just is not letting up on that another candidate should be doing the same yeah, thing but yeah. he's, he's really leading on that front he really is and that primary is coming up sometime soon isn't it july 19th and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be there in the district on election day, I invite everybody in the area. You know, there's going to be like convoys. There's going to everyone in the district is standing with Foldy. We need you on election day. We need you making calls. We need you knocking doors. Do you remember our live show 
uh, in DC yeah. when Smug told the story about putting a hole in his dress shoes walking in yeah. New York. Yeah. yeah. Now he, he he can finally prove that out. Yeah. yeah. For, I, I, for I can't wait to see Smug. Because we were ske- we, we were skeptical. We were skeptical that that happened. <laughs> I, 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 I I always keep those pairs handy to remind you because folks, that's the thing is I keep reminding people. The red wave is not something that's happening. The red wave is something we are doing. And it's going to take all of us putting in the work, and we're going to win big. Yeah, you need to say that again, because Democrats have brought their A game with finances. It is incredible how they are swamping Republicans in every state. Every state is like a three-to-one spending advantage for Democrats right now. And so, look, if you look at the polls right now, that red wave needs some work. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is we've been saying it for a while. There's been kind of like a realignment going on where... The liberals, the left, is like the party of the billionaires. It's the party of of, of the journos and the corporations and the corporations. Yeah. And 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 now the right is the party of the people. As it's always been, it's become crystal clear. And 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 the people are going to win. We're going to put in the work. Today's episode is sponsored by Masterworks because the recession isn't just coming; it's already here. Everybody knows that. Uh, no one wants to admit it, but a few rate hikes from the Fed isn't going to solve a forty-year high inflation. We've got experts from Goldman Sachs predict that less than 5% returns in stocks from until 2035. I mean, that blows my mind. I yeah. hope that's not true. Yeah. Uh, in this environment, stocks, you know, you never know which way these things are going to go. But that's where Masterworks comes in. Masterworks isn't just making money with stocks or crypto. They're doing fine art. We've yeah. talked about this in the past, fellas. But artwork by top artists like Picasso, Warhol, Monet, They're increasingly being purchased for building up wealth as a reliable investment, particularly in times like this. Ruthless listeners get to skip the waiting list, and they have one, by the way. I've been on the website, been navigating this stuff. They have a big waiting list. You get to skip the waiting list when you go to masterworks.art backslash ruthless. Yeah, and and this isn't like, uh, you know, like investment trading platforms like Robinhood or E-Trade. That those people make their money off of like fees, transaction fees. Uh, They Masterworks can't make money as a business unless you do too. So that's why I think you know their interests are they're incentivized to make you as much money as humanly possible. And uh, over half a billion's been already invested. Wow, it's a big number. Yeah, so it's not like a you know a a flash in the pan kind of like fly by night operation. This is a billion dollar startup. Uh, They have over half a billion in assets under management. So. Yeah, and according to Deloitte, over 80% of wealth managers want to offer art investing to clients. And again, these paintings are worth 10 times more than the houses in the Hamptons, not your kids' finger paintings, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, you're yeah. talking Monet's, you're talking Warhol, stuff like that. Masterworks makes the whole process easier than trading stocks. They buy a painting, then let you invest in shares, like investing in a company. Then, when they sell it for a higher price, you get a share of the potential profits. It's that simple. Go to masterworks.art backslash ruthless, skip the wait list, and start investing today. Yeah, so you know, check out Masterworks. Think about it. You know, a guy literally bought a Warhol for like five thousand dollars in nineteen eighty seven, just sold it for one hundred ninety five million dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's so a pretty good return. That, it increased in value of like ten thousand dollars a day. <laughs> uh, and it's not like the Fed can print more Warhols either. So you know that explains why the value of top artwork keeps going up. It's very limited supply right. of this stuff, uh, and that's how the market survived everything in history. That you know everything that's been thrown at it. Um, so if you're looking at a great place to park some cash, you know, maybe check out Masterworks. Skip the wait list. Go to masterworks.art backslash ruthless. Sign up today. Ah, uh, yeah. Heck yes. Heck yes. Uh, speaking of a race that needs some focus, Georgia. Did you guys see old Raffi Warnock used campaign funds to fight a uh, 
personal lawsuit. I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. You know, really what I couldn't believe was let, because we know that this guy has a history with a lot of things that he shouldn't be doing. Oh, yeah. What I couldn't believe is that the mainstream media picked this up. Yeah, I mean, shocker, were, right? The guy used a fake dog in his last campaign as his dog in every one of his ads, and then it comes out afterwards, not even his dog. He's, he's, this guy is is constantly let alone constantly the like domestic skirting. abuse kind of like situation right, with like right. driving it's, a car. And the, and the media just ignored all of it because you know they wanted to help him get elected. But I mean, none of this should be a surprise if you knew anything about his background. Mm-hmm. Remember the kids' camp in Maryland? Yeah, where he was arrested for obstructing an official investigation yes. into the abuse that was going on there. Nothing. Nobody in the mainstream I bet, media I bet cared most of the listeners, it. that's the first time you ever heard that. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why the program's here, because we're going to hold these people accountable. That's exactly right. Well, this is according to Politico's Natalie Allison. Senator Raphael Warnock used campaign money to cover legal expenses for a lawsuit relating to his time as a church minister. Transactions that raise questions about whether the spending runs afoul of federal rules governing personal use of campaign funds. Of course they do. Yeah. Of course, there's no, I mean, I understand from a legal standpoint, they have to say raise questions, which is another like media trick, right? Yeah. right? It raises questions. Oh, it raises questions. When like, when they, they say that about a Republican, it, it's like, there are no questions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but when they say it about a Democrat, you got a real problem. Yeah. You got a real you problem. Know. It's yeah. accu- it, it, when it's Republican, it's accusations. When it's a Democrat, it's questions. Yeah. And, <laughs> and process. You know, yeah. What's the process behind all but, this? But you know, they never raised questions. They never made accusations. Remember when his, his ex-wife was crying in a police video about the fact that he she about her claims that that uh, that he abused her like ran yeah, well, over her thing, foot or something he, with right? his tesla yeah. I, I mean I, that's how you know he's a true deal liberal like if you're gonna run somebody over at least use a tesla right <laughs> <laughs> his wife in that footage called warnock a or was his girlfriend this is his wife i think uh, a, a great actor yeah wow. which i think we've seen wow. basically described I mean, him as a jekyll and hyde yeah imagine if a republican were to say something like that right incredible so another thing that I, uh, the 4th of July, wonderful, uh, great American holiday. I hope you all had a good one. Uh, in terms of how it relates to politics, very, very interesting piece of this. So the New York Times, since 1897, uh, published the Declaration of Independence in full, either on their front page or on the inside part of the front page, every year. Yeah. Right? Just published it uh this year not there no not there you're kidding nope not there at all and so there of course even libs were outraged by this because it's an annual tradition right so they start writing in and they're, they're complaining about you know where is it and there was a lot of question about the, whether the new york times just made an ed- editorial decision that like well, we don't do the Declaration of Independence anymore, which wouldn't surprise any of us. Yeah, I mean, like the New York Times Slack kind of has become notorious because it's like all the young, like super woke left-wing kids are just yep. terrifying. Everyone who works there being like, these are the new rules. You have to live well, that's them. These new rules have infected everything, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like you take critical race theory, for example. Now we just have critical theory of everything. Everything. It's critical Fourth of July theory. Yeah. And we have <laughs> to constantly be reminded about the shortcomings of our country, you know, 200 years ago. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Totally. It's like, you know, we didn't measure up to, to 2022, so we got to throw out everything. It, History doesn't matter anymore. Totally. And in case you're thinking like, well, maybe they just forgot or whatever, which is what their explanation was. They forgot. 
the New York Times just forgot. forgot. Oh, whoops. Right? Oh, we forgot. And then they published it on the 5th. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, that paper's probably forgotten about the Declaration of Independence for some time now. Oh, for for sure. Basically, all of the founding uh, fathers and everything else. But it's, it's not a far-fetched thing to think it was an editorial decision because this year, NPR, which had a 33-year run of reading the Declaration on the 4th, instead ran a segment that examined what equality means and meant in this document. Oh. NPR, folks. This is the public-funded operation that is supposed to give you the news. And they are just, like, left-wing as hell. Like, very openly left-wing as hell. I mean, think about what your feedback circle needs to look like to make decisions like that. And I think that's the situation. Is like, uh, a prime example is, is yesterday morning... The New York Times has this article where they say the rise of the far-right Latina. Because it was Myra Flores who won in, in, in yeah. Texas. The far-right Latina. Far-right. Any, anything to the right of Bernie is like far-right <laughs> to these people. It's because they've moved so far left, you know, that like the article is like uh, her concerns seem to be with inflation yeah. rather than with the, the January 6th hearings that are going on on television. It's like, well, no shit. That's probably 95% of Americans are way more concerned. It is it is unreal how far left-leaning these leadership people at NPR have become. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've always been libs, but they now make Fidel Castro look like Charles Koch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these, these people are so far to the left. They really are. That they're, they're out of their minds. We and, pay, and we pay for this shit. Yeah, I mean defund, all, all defund, defund, defund NPR. Well, it's just it's ridiculous. But you know, on a lighter side, did you guys see the machete monkey? No. Yes, finally some good news. The machete monkey. So I mean, look, we've been big onto the monkeys lately because mm-hmm. they're terrorizing everything. But these machete monkeys in Brazil, uh, apparently, and if you see the video of it, it's a monkey with a machete that is walking along a building and seems to be like going after people and it's holding like it looks like a like a cartel or something like it's it's not like dressed like the monkey that we had uh talked about a couple weeks ago yeah. with the full camouflage or yeah. whatever yeah it's not dressed but it's holding the machete with some authority and, and and this article is is wonderful so this is from uh the daily star it says knife wielding monkey terrorizes town after claiming shopping center as his territory yeah. so like this is already just Absolutely, I'm clicking. It says, locals in the Brazilian town of Corrente are divided over the vicious-looking monkey, <laughs> which carries a knife as big as itself, but lets people take it by the hand. So, like, he's he's okay as long as you, like, respect his territory. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's like a benevolent ruler, you know? He's, like, with the people, but also there's yeah. there's rules. There's rules. Speak softly and carry a big machete. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. That's exactly right. I want to know the dude, though, that's like, hey, this machete-wielding monkey's not so bad. Let me hold his hand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, look. That is a real gamble. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look how badass it is. So it says, first the primate waves the blade around as if threatening passersby, and then it seems to sharpen it on the stone wall. (laughs) Like, he's ready. He's ready. This is how you get Planet of the Apes. I'm telling you. It's opposable thumbs. You know, that's the problem. Once they figure out how to use tools, we're done for. This quote is classic. It's been making a mess. It's already damaged roofs, and this week it showed up with this knife. (laughs) It's only getting more and more heavily armed. It's been making a mess. (laughs) Those who are suffering from the mess are worried, and they can't leave their doors or windows open. (laughs) Others find it funny and think it's a meme. I mean, classic. It is funny. It is. It is. 
I mean, because it's a monkey with a machete. Of course it's funny. But I do think it's hilarious that they won't leave their mud, their windows open. For yeah, it's going to throw poop through them. <laughs> well, it could come in with the machete. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, you got to follow the law. You know what I mean? He's just enforcing his rules. It's like, hold my hand, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this story, I don't know, Smug, you seem to be all over this, the Dutch farmers situation. Yes, so this is great. Um, I'm going to read from the Daily Caller, which has been covering this. Uh, This article says, Dutch farmers launch revolt against climate rules threatening to end their livelihoods. This is the ESG story that we've been warning you folks about. It says, over 40,000 farmers have taken to the streets in recent weeks to protest climate-related regulations that the Dutch ruling coalition itself concedes would force upwards of 30% 30% of farmers out of business. Yikes. This is what happens. This is like those woke laws that are, that are, that are, it's, it's corporations who benefit and it's individuals. It's these farmers who will suffer. It says farmers have dumped hay bales on roads, left manure outside government officials' homes, and blocked highways and other critical infra- infrastructure to protest the regulations, the Associated Press reported. Uh, this is quote The honest message is that not all farmers can continue their business, the government said in a June statement. Unbelievable. They said, no, you gotta just accept this. We're putting it out of business. The farmers contend that they are being unfairly uh, targeted by the regulations and losing out on their future prospects, the AP reported. The Netherlands' largest airport urges travelers on Monday to use public transportation to get to its terminals amid fears that the farmers' blockades would target airports, and fishermen have also blocked a number of harbors this week in solidarity with farmers, the Associated Press reported. Again, this is about the people who have had enough yeah. of government regulations, this like woke garbage that is intended to punish individuals. Totally. So did you see did you see the Dutch government took it the next level? No, the, what they fired know? shots at these farmers. Are you no way. Yes, it was on Twitter. It was on Twitter yesterday. There's a video of them like literally shooting at these guys in their tractors. Are you kidding? Jeez. I'm not kidding. I wish I was kidding. This that, is what Greta wanted. This oh. is this is this is exactly it. Well, you know what they ought to do is they ought to uh, arm some monkeys and stand them around yeah. the airports. Well, I mean, well, they're not afraid. They're, they're, <laughs> they're taking the next step. So this is a video I sent, uh, as the world burns, tag me in this. Uh, Dutch farmers have purchased a tank to use to block distribution. Hell centers. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's the thing is like, uh, you know, if you let the government overstep, you know, if you allow for government tyranny, they're going to take as much as they can. Totally. This is a prime example of that where they want to dictate – Oh, you know, according to some climate activists, we now have to put 30% of you out of business and you're just going to have to take it. Well, guess what? People aren't going to take it. They're not. They're not. It reminds me a lot of the Canadian truckers yeah. mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. this is, you push people too far, bad stuff happens, you know? I also think about, you know, we covered a lot of Supreme Court wins over the last month. Mm-hmm. The one that we really didn't spend enough time was that EPA ruling. Yeah. Which basically, if you read the opinion, and I, you know, don't do that unless you're like super into this stuff. But if you read the opinion, it dismantles the administrative state. Yes, mm-hmm. like it provides. You can't just come up with rules willy nilly because you're you're a government entity. It has to. You have to. Like I, I keep saying, you know, thank God for Chief Justice Clarence Thomas. <laughs> this country is gonna go, is going back to following the letter of the law. The Constitution is the law of the land. Yeah, I mean, it's, it couldn't be said better. That's exactly right. But you know, I, I think. These Supreme Court wins in this country are doing more to try to protect our liberties here than yep. anything we've seen out of government in my lifetime. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, if you think of like the culture war, it's just been like W after W after W over the past few weeks. Massive. Everything from like religious liberty to school choice yep. 
to guns, freedom of speech, abortion. to guns, to abortion, to regulations right. and administrative state. Like all that stuff came down. I mean, you kind of wish you spaced it out a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah. You could celebrate each one. Let right. it sink in. It, it really, it's, it's amazing. So anyway, we should probably get to our interview. Let's get right to it. Let's go. I want to welcome to the program, in studio, I might add, which is like our new thing. I just love having very cool to be I love having our guests in studio. He's the sixty second governor of Maryland. You started to say I was the sexiest governor, didn't well, you? Well, that was it. <laughs> the sixty second. That was it. Yeah. I, I. It's a. What do they call that? A, a yeah, Freudian slip. Freudian slip. Yeah. No. Uh, Larry Hogan. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you guys. Listen, this is great. You you came bearing gifts. Well, um, I figured if I got a couple of uh, shots in you, you'd be more fun to talk to. So <laughs> I brought a little bourbon. You did, and we had a, and we had a good uh, discussion about this. You are a frequenter of Maryland-based spirits, from what I understand. Exactly. But you knew well enough to know that you you were coming uh, with bourbon to people who spent some time in Kentucky. It was a suck up to the Kentucky <laughs> contingent, uh, but right. I mean, they do have the best stuff, and I actually drink Woodford, so uh, you know, I just uh, figured I'd be comfortable drinking my own bourbon and let you guys have a few. Wet, fair enough. But I bought it in Maryland, so it counts. Well, it says here Bay Ridge Wine and Spirits, See that? yeah, Annapolis. Yeah, no, there, let there be no mistake. You've, yeah. you've, I did not go down to Kentucky to get it. <laughs> proprietor of a home state uh, business there, which you yourself are a, a small business owner. Have been a small business owner yeah. most of your career before you got into politics. You know, I spent my whole whole life in the private sector. I mean, I've been around politics, but um, I, I've been I was uh, founded and uh, ran small businesses my whole life until I became governor. I had never held elective office before, and I just ran because I was really frustrated with what was going on in our state. It was a monopoly. Yeah, you know, bluest state in the country. They had been raising taxes forty three times in a row. Well, I wow. remember this when you first ran in twenty fourteen. I think the consensus in twenty thirteen and before. Was that Maryland was just so off the map? I mean, it was amongst the most high tax state in the union. Yeah, every single we were forty ninth out of fifty states in economic performance, Oof. and uh, we had run, you know, ten thousand businesses out of the state, a hundred thousand jobs, and uh, a Gallup poll came out that said forty eight percent of all Marylanders wanted to leave the state, wow. and that's wow. when, when I said, as a small business guy, enough is enough, and I'm going to try to do something about it. And quite frankly, some of my friends. And you know, clients and, and, and family members thought I was crazy. They were like, I'm thinking about running for governor. They said, what state? <laughs> Are you moving, <laughs> Larry? It's the blue state in America. I mean, you know, so, but we pulled off with no money. We pulled off the biggest surprise upset in the country. And, uh, but yeah. I mean, it was a huge surprise. I mean, 2014 was the first year you ran and it was a red year, no question about it. But I don't, I mean, I was intimately involved in almost everything politics at that time. At no point did I think you were going to win the governorship in no. Maryland. Well, you're not alone because at no point did anyone other than me think that I was going to win. Um, and, you know, RGA, you know, they, they make decisions about these states, you know, are pretty solid. These are the winnable ones. And these are the, you know, ones that we don't have a shot. I was at the very end of the no way in hell list. <laughs> I was like voted least likely to succeed. Uh, and. We had we we got we. I was trying to convince my buddy Chris Christie, uh, who at the time wasn't my, as good a buddy as he is now. He was chair, and uh, yeah, that's right. And finally, like ten days left to go in the in the election. They had already spent all their money. I think he raised 150 million. They spent it in 26 other states. We were not one of them, but we had a poll that said we were about to, you know, close the gap. We were down by two, and so Christie uh, has Phil Cox, the executive director, do a poll. They're like, we're not going to waste money on a poll in Maryland. <laughs> And Paul came back with me tied. 
Yeah. So uh, they had no money left. And Christie says, don't we have a line of credit? And they're, they're, Phil says, we've never spent money from a line of credit for a race before. He goes, well, can I do it? And do I need a vote of the executive committee? And Phil says, you better get somebody else to second it. Because this is <laughs> this is the money we're going to use to operate our, you know, to pay everybody after the election. Yeah. So he calls Mike Pence. He says, Mike, I want to talk to you about adding one more state into the mix. It's the last 10 days of the race. And he goes, I want to talk about drawing money in the line of credit. I want to talk to you about Maryland. And Christie says, there's a long, perceptible pause. And he says, Chris, have you been drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Said not today. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, they ended up putting like a million, too, in the race for the last 10 days for Washington TV. And it pushed us over the top. But we had, we had gotten to the you know, goal line with nothing, running on fumes. Yeah, wow. amazing. Yeah, and amazing. You, closed it, you closed it out. But, but I think, unlike a lot of people who were elected in 2014 in blue states in a good year, 2018 treated them very differently, right? right. And and not exactly. only did it not treat you differently, you expanded it. Yeah, well, we ran against, I was running against Ben Jealous, who was the uh, former president of the NAACP in one of the blackest states in the country and the bluest state in the country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people take it for granted now because we, you know, we won by 12 points. But this is a state that, you know, Donald Trump lost to Hillary by 31, and he lost to Joe Biden by 33. And in the middle of that, we won by 12. So yeah. it was like, I said mm. we ran 45 points ahead. It's a tough, yeah. it's a tough state. Right, you gotta do things differently. <laughs> it's tougher than California or New York or anywhere else. Yeah, well, I, I gotta imagine a lot of that is the job performance, right? And And we've been looking through, I was looking through some things to get familiar with this interview. And one of the things that really stuck out to me Obviously, you've had popularity throughout your, your entire tenure, but the conservative accomplishments that you've actually racked up here is is no joke, right? It gets brushed over because you're dealing with a, what, a supermajority Democratic legislature? Look, we've got more than 70%, you know, far-left progressives in both houses of our legislature. Right. Which is, you know, the, the fact that we've be been wild. able to get anything done is, is difficult. It's not like working in a red state. It's pretty easy. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, I'm looking at some of these accomplishments. This would be if if this was a red state governor, they could spike the football on this. But tax cuts seven years in a row. Eight, with, actually. Eight. Eight. <laughs> yeah. How the eight hell do you now? I, like, so, I mean this sincerely. Like, yeah. How do you? How? I mean, I realize that state legislatures yeah. work a little differently, but how in the world do you get a supermajority Democrat? government to agree to something like that well it's not it's not really easy um and we had our battles and we didn't get everything done that we wanted to get done but we did cut taxes eight years in a row by 4.8 billion dollars um we eliminated 14,000 regulations we took our economy from 49th to sixth biggest economic turnaround in america wow um and uh we we went from a place where no one wanted to do business and they were all leaving to uh, a place that's growing businesses and jobs like crazy we have you know, we're growing jobs at twice the rate of the rest of the country, and we, our economy's booming. Um, but really, the, with the legislature, look, it, uh, we came in right away. I had the I had the people behind me, right? And throughout most of the eight years, we've been over seventy percent approval among every demographic group, and we use that. So pu- we have the public, including Democrats and independents, lighting up their legislators, telling them we want to cut taxes. I mean, what a novel idea! Yeah. Going directly to the people who yeah. have seen the results of, yeah. of what you've accomplished. What's well, how I was elected? So there were people that had never voted for Republican in their lives that crossed over to vote for me. You know, only twenty four percent Republican in my state, but uh, you know, we won two elections in a row uh, because people agreed with what I was talking about. And I didn't, you know, get into arguing about every single thing that we I might not agree with them on, but I focused on the economic issues, which they did agree on. 
you know, we're getting taxed out of the state. So I, I, some of it I could do on my own, cutting uh, tolls and fees I could do, which we, we did, you know, a couple million dollars, a couple hundred million dollars of that, a couple billion dollars, actually. Uh, but 2.8 or 3 billion, it was, we did a big one. This year was the largest tax cut in history. Last year we had done the same thing. And it was just getting buy-in and trading off just certain things to say this is important enough where we're willing to, you know, work with you on your priorities, reach it across the aisle. And, uh, but we, we got a lot of what we wanted to get done and it, it changed the whole direction of our state. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the economy is just, I mean, the stats speak for themselves, right? I mean, you yeah. go from 48 to six, I think yeah. that's just about all you need to say about that. But it's certainly not the only component. I, I mean, I'm, look, Baltimore in particular, Maryland in general, has had a reputation for crime issues. Yeah. There's been, you know, huge defund the police movements in, in Maryland and across the, you know, across the entire state. And yet you you put the opposite into yeah. action. I mean, well, look, I was, uh, first of all, on the defund the police, I was, I think, the first leader in America to speak out, elected leader, to speak out strongly against it. I was on national TV the first day I ever heard about defund the police and started saying it was absurd and ridiculous. It was far left lunacy that... Um, you know, we needed more funding for police. But then, you know, we put the words into action. And in my democratic state, I started a refund the police hmm. initiative, which really started the dialogue. It, that was before Eric Adams got elected in New York, right. before the Democrats started backpedaling and Biden started talking about it. It was way before that. Uh, and we put a half a billion dollars more into state and local police, 50% mm -hmm. increase in, in police funding to local jurisdictions. And so, yeah, it's, uh, and I think that was a, uh, we had huge support among Democrats and among black Democrats mm -hmm. who were rejecting this defund the police. Well, that's they a were the secret. victims of crime in Baltimore City were concerned about the safety of their neighborhoods and they said, thank you, Governor. Yeah. So, you know, I actually have an 80% approval rating in Baltimore City. I mean, that's a secret to it, right? Is that you, you actually talk to people yeah. here. Well, that's the key. But, you know, we had violence in the, in the urban areas is a huge problem. Yeah. And uh, not people were kind of afraid to take it on. I took it head on and not only was that popular with my Republican base, but it was popular among Democrats. Yeah, well, because didn't like this crazy. Because like national national progressives like to frame this any sort of support for police is somehow a racial component to it, yeah. right? Which, if you actually listen to, and this is happening in, in city councils across America yeah. right now, is that the people who are most affected of this Absolutely. live in the inner city and have a very different opinion than the coastal progressives that yep. are trying to inform us here. Well, so all along that, those lines, I had only been governor for 89 days when the worst violence in 47 years broke out in Baltimore City. That the uh, Freddie, Freddie after, Gray? After the death of Freddie Gray. And, uh, you know, unlike almost every mayor and governor across the country uh, in 20 when they were having all of the issues, um, you know, I immediately declared a state of emergency, sent in a thousand extra police officers, 4,000 members of the National Guard, and we immediately stopped the violence. You know, a lot of people were afraid to do that. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But the people of Baltimore thanked me for keeping them safe and for standing up when their mayor wouldn't and when the other people weren't. And so, uh, you know, I actually ended up teaching a course at NGA about how you deal with a crisis like that. But a lot of people didn't pay attention uh, to it when it happened in 20 and nobody nobody really took the right action. Well, how much of that you think from a from Democrats standpoint when their immediate reaction is blame police, yeah. defund police? You know, it's got to be a lot. How much of that is just informed by the national progressive movement? Because, I mean, like as we've been talking about here, the constituency's not for it. Right. right. And somehow you just identified that immediately, whereas your Democratic colleagues at a local level were still following the progressive wish list. Yeah, with well, no question. The progressive, uh, it was 
it was you know progressive doctrine that you had to defund the police. It was all the narrative against the police. Look, we had to, we did need some police reforms and some things we could do better, um, community policing and making sure that uh, you know we were keeping our cops honest. But you know who hates dishonest cops the most is honest cops who work yeah. hard every day. Um, but uh, the defund the police, I think they they made a huge mistake. Everybody backtracked. But I would I would argue I was one of the first ones to push back on it, and and I think it was successful. I also noticed that you you're sort of a leader in the in the school choice area, yeah, as well, which is a, again same community, big deal. Same same community with a different problem. Yeah. Uh, so you know we've got some of the best schools in America and our state, and some of the most highly funded schools. But Baltimore City, which is one of the most highly funded school districts in America, just has terrible track record, and the kids are being cheated. So you know, uh, school choice, and uh, we funded uh, scholarships to attend pri- the private schools of your choice, which I also got the Democrats in the legislature to pass, which is... <laughs> that is unreal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that because that's a that's a hell of a fight across the country that they put up. It was a huge battle, and I, we, it wasn't, you know, 100% successful because we wanted to do a lot more money, but we chipped away at it year after year and, uh, you know, put, you know, some money, about $50 million total into scholarships so that poor kids and d- deserving kids that were struggling with persistently failing schools could mm-hmm. attend a, a private school, a Catholic school, or a Jewish day school, or whatever they wanted to go. And they're, you know, for less money, they're actually getting a better education. It's almost without exception that you see these activists across the country who push for, like, the teachers, unions, and such. Yeah. They always send their kids to private schools, but they demand children who are stuck in failing schools and their parents have, have no, no choice. Yeah. No choice. No. Yeah. Yeah, no choice. Oh, I mean, it's 100% true. Yeah. But look, here's my question to you. We just went through sort of four big kind of litmus test conservative issues, the stuff that we're fighting about today. And you've dealt with all of them. You've put points on the board on all of them. How frustrating is it to you when you're sort of branded nationally as some sort of like Democrat, moderate or or whatever, when you're like, well, look, I'm holding it down with a 70% Democratic legislature. Well, look, I, uh, it's the toughest state in the country. It is the bluest state in the country, if you go by presidential election results. Um, and uh, we've been really successful. And I've been arguably you know, in the top three most popular governors in the country for eight straight years uh, among Republicans, Democrats, and independents. And that's, that's hard to do. Uh, but I get, yeah, it is a little frustrating because I'm a lifelong common sense conservative. I was a chairman of Youth for Reagan. I, I was going to ask know, you I'm about a, I'm that. I'm a solid you know, conservative, but you know, we're winning battles on really important things uh, just because we're not maybe out there making as much noise on, on Twitter about certain things. Yeah, is it might a tone? Turn off some, I think a lot of it is tone. I mean, we're, we're working hard, standing up for the things we believe in, but I'm all, I also, by necessity, um, and by just the, you know, the way I actually believe, I, I, I think you have to work across the aisle to get things done. And that's why I think all of the most popular elected officials in the country are Republicans in blue states, governors, you know, Charlie Baker and, uh, and Sununu and Phil Scott, it's because, you know, we can't get anything done without convincing some Democrats. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, you know, working across the aisle is really popular with voters. It's popular among Republicans and independents and Democrats. So, you know, the people that would say, you know, well, you're a Democrat, you're a rhino, whatever. I mean, I don't really care because I'm, I'm doing much better than all of them are. So, I'm but a, but I do have to say, there is and some value to, in tweeting crazy things. I got to say. <laughs> well, well I, 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 I'm happy that you're doing it. <laughs> I, just, I just don't. You, know, you could do it for me. <laughs> uh oh. No, you better check with staff on that. I don't feel like that's, uh, you don't want smug anywhere near your Twitter account. 
<laughs> but it, you know, but it's interesting, right? Because nobody ever talks about this. I mean, this is why I was I was wondering about it today and, and wanted to research a little bit about the things that you gotten done. Because from a national, we brand everything nationally. Yeah. You are this. You are that. Right. But if you look under the hood, it tells a really different story. And it seems to me like, obviously, you've made your your impressions of President Trump well known, which I think probably guides a lot of that discussion in terms of who is this guy. Yeah. But on a policy basis, man, that's hard to argue with. Well, you know, I actually, you know, I had the exact same support among Republicans and conservatives as Donald Trump did. I just happened to add to that uh, by... You know, being successful at also convincing other people to come over, including, you know, suburban women and moderates and independents and swing Democrats, which is something, you know, that we haven't done well as a party, which is why, you know, we lost the White House and the Senate and the House and we lost governor seats and state legislative bodies because they did the opposite of what I did. They played to the base, but they didn't attract any mm-hmm. converts. And, you know, successful politics is about addition and multiplication. So. It's not like I'm, you're this or that. It's like in my state, I didn't have that choice. I had to, I had to fire up the base and win all the independents and win a chunk of Democrats. You know, or I, I wouldn't be governor. If right? I think about it, maybe you know, in a, in a strange way, it seems like this election cycle we're currently in is kind of like a macrocosm of what you initially yeah. stumbled upon in Maryland, where the economic situation is dire and it's become clear to everyone. And I think that you know, the conservative ideas of how to improve things is something that would appeal. Across I, voting lines, there's no question about that. And so there was a there was a piece. Uh, Washingtonian did a piece that was said something to the effect that I was I was really Trump before Trump because I was able to win over uh, blue collar Democrats and union households, and I won I won an area called Dundalk in eastern Baltimore County. hadn't voted Republican in 73 years, and wow. I won by you know 25 points because I was talking to you know people who had lost their jobs at a steel mill and people that were concerned that they were getting taxed to death and. We did, I didn't have to go argue about whatever red meat social issue of the day was the, on the Republican, you know, Republicans were talking about. I was talking about things that people cared about, bread and butter, you know, how they're going to pay their bills, you know, how they're going to feed their family. And um, that's, I think, what the Republican Party should be focused on. You know, the things where we can gain, you know, it's, it's you, know, you got to get to 50 percent plus one. You can't keep, you know, we've lost the popular vote seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That's no way to, yep. you know, for a successful long-term future for the party you know i i i, I said i was a reagan guy you know, involved in that campaign reagan delegate uh that's what he did i mean he won 49 states for a reason because he focused on it's the pretty things good that most people agreed with pretty it's a pretty good number yeah. uh let me ask you about that the, the origins of your political interests yeah. i mean you mentioned was the was the getting involved with reagan kind of the the on-ramp well so my dad was a member of congress um in the uh, he got elected the late 60s through the mid 70s and uh so i i was around politics uh but uh it was, it was a funny story my dad was on the house judiciary committee during the impeachment of nixon he was the first republican to come out for his impeachment which you know did not you know win him a lot of fans with some folks uh at the time but now they look back and say you know he had a lot of courage to stand up and do you know all these years later people pretty much you know think he did the right thing putting country ahead of party and his own personal political considerations but my dad was a you know helped jerry ford become the president really because you know they were friends and they served together he was in came in the same time with george bush and jack Kemp and those guys uh but so my dad was a chairman of the ford campaign and i went to the convention with them i was in college and uh, in 76 
And uh, and he so I go to the convention. I'm marching around the floor with my Reagan hat and my Reagan oh, sign and Reagan T-shirt. No kidding. And my dad is like, "What in the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be with Ford." I'm like, "I just I love this Reagan guy." <laughs> you know. So in '80, I was you know uh, he's like, "Let me sound grateful." '84, I was Reagan delegate. I was you know I was all very involved. So you know, my dad got me interested in politics, but Reagan was the guy that what, what spoke my to North you? Star. What what spoke to you about Reagan? What was the connection? You there? know, he he just had I, what this is what I think is missing today. He had a hopeful, positive vision for America. He set, you know, broad goals that people could agree with. And he said, this is what I stand for, and this is what I'm going to try to get done. And he didn't really, you know, he did challenge a sitting president, uh, but the first time he didn't win. But he was not afraid to speak out when he thought the party was going in the wrong direction or focusing on the wrong things. But he really, um, he, he focused on economic issues. It was the malaise and the mm-hmm. of, uh, Jimmy Carter. And it's very it's similar. Pretty to nice concern. Again, it's, yeah. like, it's like deja vu. It's yep. like gas... The, you, know, you know, the energy problems and, uh, you know, weakness around the world. And, you know, it's it's almost feels exactly like the Wisconsin Times with uh, the current president. So you go into business, you're living your life. What brings you back? Well, so um, I, I did have one uh, little stint in politics. Uh, when I was 35, I ran against, I challenged Steny Hoyer, who was, st- <laughs> he's been in office for 150 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, it was a, a district that was three to one Democrat to Republican. And I had uh, no money. And again, no one thought I could win. I was a punk, you know, guy. And uh, Hoyer was leader of Congress. He was the number three guy in Congress at the time. Um, and, uh, we they declared me the winner you know I, I won four out of five counties and they were you know that night they were like a surprising upset leader of congress goes down to defeat and uh it was the year same year that uh bill clinton was beating george bush and i think bush was losing that district by 28 points and uh, huh. so the next day next afternoon more votes came into prince george's county a minority uh, county and uh, they were all busting people in to vote for Bill Clinton and I ended up losing a close race but it's Hoyer's closest race of his career <laughs> and uh, that was two years before a contract with America and Newt Gingrich taking mm, over I was I yeah, ran in the yeah. presidential year with yeah, a huge, that's huge democratic turnout it's still almost one but then I just get I said I'm gonna stay focused on business until I got frustrated enough in 2014 so all those years later decades later saying uh, enough is enough I'm fed up that's wild it's wild um, one of the things that I've been highlighted here on the, you may not know this, on the Variety program, uh, we like animal fighting. Uh, yeah. I mean, just straight up, we like animal fighting. You like animal fighting? Okay. We're, we're, I'm not sure I did know that. I should be paying more attention, but I'm not an expert on animal fighting, but yeah. On my, on my notes from your book, it says, ask him about hybrid wolves. I'm hoping that this has something to do with our interests. Unfortunately, I don't know that it really does. It could, but would, you'd be surprised. In, you never know. You never know. I don't know what your interests are exactly, but maybe hybrid wolves is your thing. Um, I did not know a whole lot about hybrid wolves. I still don't. So let's let, let <laughs> us know. So, let's start at one. So I was running against <laughs> Stanny Hoyer in the race I just talked about, mm-hmm. and I, w- I was speaking to this factory in Southern Maryland. I was you know meeting the people in a little town hall Q and A kind of thing. And people are asking, what about taxes? And what about this issue and that issue? And, and we get to the end. I'm ready to get out of there. And the lady says to me, I have one issue. And I'm going to make my decision based on this. And I just want to know. And I'm like, oh, geez. I almost got out of here before the tough question. You know, She goes, what's your position on hybrid wolves? <laughs> so, so instead of saying, what the F are you talking about? I was like, well, 
honestly, I'm not an expert on hybrid wolves or what the issue is, but I'd love to talk to you afterwards. But yeah, hybrid wolves, apparently they were breeding dogs with wolves and she liked that idea <laughs> she liked it so i was just gonna say like it feels like the knee jerk would have been like I, i'm I against like, the I'm hybrid kind wolf. Of against wolves i like dogs but not wolves i'm not sure but i just i said why don't we talk after the thing and i'll get your input maybe that could fit in with like the refund the police like no, dog sniffing dogs is- that are bred with wolves <laughs> No, the refund police is too important to be mixed in with the I just, I, I just love the idea that, that, that there's a, a single-issue voter out there. Issue it was a single-issue vote. I was like, oh, jeez. I almost escaped without tackling this single issue. You know, I was like, But that was the last thing in the world. You're I telling me that it wasn't... This is the one thing. That wasn't picked up in your polling? Right. I was like, Huge constituency. T- I mean, I'm, I talked to our pollster. How'd you miss this hybrid war? <laughs> you got to love it. All politics is local as hell, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So, so one more thing that uh, I, I got to bring up is uh, from from your book is when we're talking about being tough and 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 what you have to survive as governor, you have to survive more than usually a governor does. You have to survive cancer right away. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we talked about the riots. So I came in. You know, I pulled off the biggest surprise upset in America. Uh, Charles Krauthammer was on Fox calling it a, a nuclear explosion in Maryland. How did it happen? We never heard of this guy. You know. And then I came into my right away into my. I had to prepare a budget and a legislative package. I had to push my tax cuts through the Democratic legislature. And then the last day of session was the riots in Baltimore. And 60 days later, I got hit with this more personal challenge where um, out of nowhere, I got, uh, you know, I I started to have a couple of things that were bugging me. And I went to the doctor to check it out. And uh, the guy says, I don't think it's much, but I'm going to send you for for a CAT scan. And it was, I had a little lump pop out of my neck and I was like, uh, well, he, they, they test it. Then they go, I'm going to go a little lower, look at your chest. I'm going to go a little lower to your abdomen. Jeez, that's you know, And I'm like, this sounds like pretty thorough for, you know, just checking out something. Yeah, you're like, like well, I'm the governor. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe it's they're just, just being, yeah. and then three guys uh, walked into the room, three different doctors and saying, uh, governor, we have some bad news for you. You've got uh, advanced and aggressive cancer spread all over your body, like 50 some tumors. And I was oh, like, 50 wow. tumors. Yeah. Holy so, uh, you know, I had to right away, uh, the news was shocking because I didn't think I was that sick. I just had a few aches and pains, a couple of things that didn't seem right. Um, I was actually on a trade mission to, uh, to uh, Asia and I, was, I started to feel a few things. So I've checked it out. But anyway, I had to talk, tell my wife and daughters it was Father's Day weekend. Oh, uh, man. And how am I going to explain to them? My dad, who was, you know, in his 80s that, you know, I was... You know, he had explained it to him, and he took it harder than anybody else. You know, I'm still, even though I'm an old guy, I was his little boy, you know, yeah. and he couldn't help me. But I went through, um, you know, 24 hour day chemotherapy, multiple surgeries. I was in the hospital governing the state. <laughs> I actually, uh, you know, I had to go tell the public, and the, you know, they, they just elected me. They, 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 you're, you just elect six million people. Yeah. I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, taking care of you, and now you're pretty shaky hands, like, but I'm going to make it through. and. Uh, it's, but I, I'm 100% cancer free. I battled through uh, 18 months of chemotherapy and well, six, five, six months in the hospital around the clock. But I ran the state from there and uh, we kept working. How much of that do you think? Be- I used to have a beautiful head of gray TV hair. I looked like <laughs> uh, like I could play a you know TV guy, and now I'm like I look like a wrestler. Goddamn chemo! Goddamn <laughs> <laughs> <Damn> chemo! <laughs> How much of that? The fact that you dealt with that right away. How much did that change your perspective on everything? You know, a lot of things. I mean, it makes you really think about the a little important. introspective, if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, right? it made me start thinking about the important things in life. You know, it's like family and the people you love and your people that are there for you. Yeah. And I met so many other incredible 
you know, cancer fellow cancer patients and their families and saw what they had to go through. So, um, you know, it, it was, it sounds crazy to say, but it's not like I, I wish that I had got it, but it did, it was a overall a positive experience because okay. it made me be more sympathetic to people that are going through those things. And, you know, it kind of, I like over, you know, I'm motivated by overcoming adversity and that was a big, big challenge, just like getting elected in Maryland was and overcoming it, you know, I, I you know, felt pretty, pretty good after getting it done. Oh man. Well, God bless you. It was a tough fight. There was a lot of people that were, you know, yeah, Again. man, I got prayers from all over the state, around the country and the world. I got blessed by the Pope. I had people doing church services and every kind of denomination you could think of praying. And, well, it worked. And, yeah, it worked. It worked. <laughs> um, so you've been sort of helping to lead a resurgence of the Republican Party in Maryland, and <clears throat> which is no easy task, yeah. as you might, uh, as we've mentioned. But you've made an endorsement, one that we are personally very invested in here in the ruthless variety program wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our listeners well yeah i, I figured you guys were pretty invested in that but uh <laughs> but yeah matt matthew foldy is a, a terrific young guy who uh actually volunteered in my campaign in 2014 is when i first got to meet him he was at my announcement which weren't that many people at uh, <laughs> and he was a volunteer when most people didn't think we had much of a campaign but i you know i i just think uh I like the fact that he's smart, uh, he's aggressive, he's hardworking, and we really, I think he's the kind of person that could go shake up Congress. I think he's a decent, honest guy, and um, he's got a tough fight, but um, I'm, I'm really proud of him for stepping up, and I'm happy to uh, happy to support him. But you're right, I mean, you look, when I ran in 2014, the party was bankrupt. They had been yeah. evicted from their offices, they didn't have any staff, we hadn't elected anybody. Actually evicted? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, and uh, or they lost their lease. They couldn't. They couldn't afford to pay rent. I don't know if they actually threw them out on the yeah, streets or not. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I had the biggest coattails in history. We elected five out of eight county executives. We elected people to the legislature, and we had the biggest coattails ever. Uh, we we for the first time ever, we had a majority of the local elected officials were Republicans. Hmm. Uh, and then in 2018, it all got wiped out. Yeah, they all lost. And right. so you were except me. I was only only lone survivor. <laughs> you, you were in charge of drawing the uh, the district lines. No, this is well, a better story than that. It's, even it's smug. even better than that. Smug. So uh, Democrats have been you know in control of gerrymandering. We had the worst gerrymandering totally. in the country because Democrats have been in control of it forever. I was actually the first Republican governor ever since whenever they did the first census and you know to ever be involved in redistricting because they're wow. all democrats yeah i'm the second republican re-elected in 242 years <laughs> wow in state history it's pretty good stuff none of them were there during the 10 years when they did yeah. the redistricting until until i was so we we battled democrats we put it we i appointed a nonpartisan citizen redistricting commission to say look i'll i'll stay out of it we're just going to draw fair maps i had a retired federal judge and independent democrat and republican members uh, and we drew really fair maps, and the, the legislature ignored it and passed even worse gerrymandered maps. Hmm. Uh, they were trying; to, they have a seven to one advantage. They tried to make it eight nothing. Wow, that's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's just crazy. Just completely so unreal. So I personally raised the money to challenge them in court because they had the attorney general. So we 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 fought them in in, in two different court cases, both, and uh, we we the judge sided with us. The, you know, and we tossed out their maps and made them go back and draw them. They didn't draw them quite as well as we did, but um, it's way more competitive. And right. the, I'm the only Republican governor in the country to have successfully thrown out Democratic gerrymandered maps. It's usually working the other way around. So uh, that was a good one. And, you know, I actually uh, talking about 
Matthew Foldy uh, as one of the potential places to win, even though we're the bluest state and we only have one out of eight congressmen. I won six out of the eight districts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's at least, with the right candidates, they are all, comp- most of them are competitive. And, and that district, it's and gone it from like for a, decades. that <laughs> district that, that, that Matthew Foldy is running in went from like a D plus 11 to now being an R plus one. Yeah. And you poll at over 80% favorable yeah. in that district so that so endorsement means something that there. endorsement is huge well hopefully it won't take him down i mean <laughs> <laughs> he's taking I mean, all the blame folks yeah, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure if he goes down he's gonna blame me but <laughs> no I, I think he's got a good shot and he's working hard yeah no it's great well we appreciate your endorsement in that right absolutely it's, it's one that Look, if we're going to have a red wave, it's districts like that that show up in November. Well, and I appreciate it when people people said to me, you know, I didn't have a chance. And it, they were, it was a joke. And how could you possibly win? And they never gave me the time of day. And so I know people were saying, oh, how's he going to win? He's a young guy. It's a tough district. The guy's a multimillionaire. I, I, you know, if a guy deserves the support, you got to give him the support. And, and it resonates. Uh, yeah. I'd it like resonates. pull off another big upset. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, fellas, maybe we should treat the governor to a game. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Should we? Should I, should I do another shot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I also think that's a good idea. You might you <laughs> might want to prepare yourself here. You need some bourbon. Is it going to be really one. hard? Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of depends. It, it can be. It can be. It, it, okay, well. It can be a tough game. This this game is Dem or Journo. Oh, okay. Uh, See, I mean, it's tough if you think about it. Yeah. Right? What's the No, difference? I mean, it's very hard. It's almost impossible. <laughs> so, so the way that this game works is I read four statements, three of which are made uh, by members of the media, one by a Democrat. Um, and you have to determine who the Democrat is. It can be tough to tell. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, um, you know, Do I have to remember all four, or I just jump in when I say that's the one. Well, so well, you, know, you can kind of play however you want. <laughs> Typically, what we do is he reads all four. Okay, we'll go for that. And then, then we you smuggle. He will uh, transmit his his pick oh, for so who I think the dem is. Yeah, yeah. I secretly transmit who I think is the dem operative. That's and, right. And, yeah, and I got other, you. Other three He's intuition and magic. The rest of us, we have some analysis yeah. that are analysis. involved. He just goes with his gut. He just wings it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but first, we got to go to that music. Dem or journo, I love that we're treating him to this. Dem or journo, dem or journo, dem or journo, Song's too long. It's perfect, Michael. I, I hope the game is better than the song. <laughs> we did that live in Minnesota, and it killed. It killed. Oh, okay. The Good. fans like it. They maybe, like I, it. maybe I need the crowd around here, the live version. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably right. Okay. All right, so, Michael, what do we got? Well, um, on Monday was the 4th of July. So I themed all of these on the 4th of July. <laughs> A lot of normal takes out there on the 4th. Uh, so... Here is statement number one. This Independence Day, remember that Trump has taken away yours, America. (laughs) What? Wow. Read that one again. This Independence Day, remember that Trump has taken yours away, America. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. A lot of heat. A lot of high heat. I I mean, it's it's so good. Uh, Statement number two. Um, and this is promoting an event, like a flyer. F the fourth. <laughs> See you in Reed Park. Okay. 
the fact that one of those has to be a dem operative, one's a journal, given the first two right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, high heat. Statement number three. Many of our debates on this July 4th turn on what equality means. What voting rules really give equal access to the ballot? <laughs> oh, this is how they wedge the fourth in? <laughs> Come on. That's hell of a shoehorn there. Oh, boy. This is a good research. Yeah. And uh, statement number four. Gosh, quite a wind-up here. Grilling, baseball, and fireworks, first replaced by symbols, and now by a country tearing itself completely apart. July 4th, 2022, falls in the midst of devastation. It is Independence Day in America with independence under current and relentless assault. Mm. <laughs> this is the 4th of July. Like, why are like, like people God not bless just, America. Have, yeah. Have a fireworks or something. Yeah. You know? Yes. Have a hot dog. Have a hot dog oh. and a beer. Oh, okay. All right, here's my guess. All right, well, I'll turn. I'll turn. I think this is the dem operative. Okay. okay. All right. All right, so typically what happens yeah. is we talk these through a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay, let's do it. So let me just, uh, I'll start with the, the number one. Um, Trump has taken it away. I, I, I feel like there's been enough briefing of Democrats amongst themselves where they're like, just talking about Trump every day is not doing us the kind of good that we yeah, thought. Now, none of them follow that advice, but they, right. but they know. Let's look forward instead of backwards. Yeah. Right, but they know enough. Yeah. And it seems like our media definitely has not gotten no. that message, True. right? What's your take of? Well, no, I agree with that. But you want my, my take on which one I think is the Oh, you're going to take the whole, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I, this probably I'm putting too much logic into this, but I don't, I can't see that the media was actually saying F the fourth. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to go with them operative on see, some, number some, two. Sometimes yeah. logic works, sometimes intuition. Um, the one that kills me here is the voting rights one, because I like that is, a, that's an amazing brain worm take, right? Is that somehow the 4th of July becomes a statement about voting rights. And that you could see an operative getting to. The journo, if it's a journo, and ultimately I'm concluding that it is a journo, I can't wait to find out who it is. Uh, so I, I think in the end I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with number two. I'm gonna agree with the governor, it's okay. F the fourth. Is the operative. Hmm. Um, so number three, um, the voting rights one, that was NPR. Come on. That was NPR. <laughs> Incredible. And here I was like, well, voting rights were better under yeah. the British government. <laughs> King George was far better on voting rights. Statement number four, uh, the grilling baseball and fireworks. That was uh, Howard Bryant from ESPN. What? That, wow. that, that is sports now. That's sports. Unreal. ESPN. Yeah. That's really something. That's sad. Okay. And uh, down to number one and number two. And Smug had picked number one. Number one, this Independence Day, remember that Trump has taken yours away, America, was Luke Zaleski from Condé Nast. Wow. Oh, Condé Nast. I win. Yeah, we do. Two one. Yeah. Yeah. got it. See, some saw fresh set eyes. Yeah. Ho Hogan, you're undefeated. You didn't over it. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, of, uh, of your victories in, in life over cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twice being elected <laughs> governor. And winning. Yes, yeah. Uh, this your is bigger. Bro. Your victory here is bigger, obviously. Has yeah, to be. Right? Number one. Yeah. yeah. Well, we no, more memorable. We should sure. put a plaque on. Yeah. <laughs> Deliver you some kind of a bowl. Yeah. 
<laughs> I may mention this in a press conference. Or something. <laughs> well, uh, so wait, do we get who number two was? Oh, number two was the Pima County Democratic Party. Oh, it's a Democrat. That is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. That's, that's how you get out those voters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. F wow. the fourth. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> But we want to represent you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right. So the way that we end every one of these things, governors, with three. It's over already? It's three. Sadly. Well, oh, that was fast. I know. That was pretty quick, right? You just want to, you just no. want to trash people? We can do that. <laughs> you, got like a, you got a list? Like, we're good. Fill it up. I feel like, I feel like, listen. Okay, hold on. No, I'm done. Now you now you're trying to get out of it. Hold on. Let me say, are are you going to run for president? Well, come on. Now you got the hard questions. Yeah, no, no. You're the one. I was going to go right to the final three. Refill is Woodford. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's get. Let me do the the answer. Yeah. You know, the the truth is that you know I I really I've got till next January to be governor. I think things are going to change a lot between now and next year. We got two and a half years till the next election. A lot of people have certainly been encouraging me to think about that. And I've said, I've promised people in Maryland I'm going to do this job. And uh, I think there's plenty of time to think about it after that. But we're, you know, I'm not, I haven't closed the door on the possibility. I mean, it's, let's, I want to be a part of the discussion about where the party goes. I care about the country. And, you know, whether that means I'm going to be a candidate for president or I'm going to be a voice in some other way, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out maybe after next, the end of the year. He's going to take his time. Take, well, it's not a lot of time. I mean, you know. Uh, no, it's not really know. a lot. Of, but people like to get started on these sort of things. You know what? Normally, the guys who get started early always lose. When you uh. think about it, all the guys they picked early uh, kind of disappeared. And uh, you know, not to, you don't want to talk about all those guys, but I mean, you know, let's Tom talk Walker, about. It. Let's talk about. It. <laughs> it was like he was going to be the guy, and yeah. then it fizzled. He was the first guy out, and it was Rick Perry was the guy, and he fizzled. And it was Jeb Bush was the guy, and it didn't work. So. What you're talking about now is not what we're going to be talking about in 2024. Yeah, you know, it's skate to, to totally, where the puck's going. Going to be totally well. Skate to where the puck's going, and like horse racing, the first one out of the gate almost never wins. You yeah, know, yeah. You Tough to go up. wire to wire. Got to come around the last turn. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> As they teach us at Pimlico, right? You know, I'll tell you a funny story. I I just been elected. I told you it was the big surprise upset. So I was like the shiny new penny of the RGA, you know. And I got win the election, and Christie's the chairman, and it's there's Scott Walker and Chris Christie and Mike Pence, and I'm the guy, like, how in the hell did this guy win? Where did he come from? So they have me up on a press conference at RGA, and we're sitting on this elevated platform at a table. It's Scott Walker, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, and me, this new guy <laughs> nobody ever heard of, you know? Right. And so they were just pouting, like, we can win anywhere. You know, we were this guy, this nobody guy pulled off Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> and so Look at this guy won. supposed to be bragging about how we won Maryland, but instead, all the media wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, Governor Walker, are you going to run for president? Governor Christie, are you going to run for president? <laughs> Governor Pence, are you going to run for president? This went on back and forth, back and forth, like multiple questions. And finally, I go, I just want to say categorically, I want to just commit, <laughs> I am not running for president <laughs> in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> and all the other guys, Mike Pence, who's a friend, but doesn't have that big of a sense of humor, he was laughing so hard he was crying. And, and Christie was like, you know, slapping the table and rolling because, you know, he and I have similar personalities. And Scott Walker was just like, why, why is this guy talking? <laughs> you were supposed to be our mascot here today. <laughs> this is not- it was just for fun. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was only for 2016. So I'm saying, you, you know, got you kept so your options open. 2024, there's a chance. You never know. You, <laughs> you never, never know. know. <laughs> all right, all right. Last question here before we get into the big three. Let's talk NFL for a minute. Yeah. Commanders. 
Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly that is yeah. exactly the point. So I assume are you a Ravens guy? So you know it's interesting. I grew up in Prince George's County, right outside of the Beltway, or inside the Beltway, but right outside DC. And so I grew up as a Washington Redskins fan and went to, you know, RFK and I was a season ticket holder later on and uh so but but maybe maybe fifteen years ago or so, or maybe longer, I kind of Friends of mine started were going to Ravens, and I was like, oh, "I'll come to the game with you just to hang out, right. even though I don't care about the Ravens." Uh, but it became—I started like really enjoy it, and the, it was a great crowd, a great experience. And so, long before I ran for governor, I sort of—I don't say I deserted my other team because I still rooted for Washington when they were in different. I don't think anyone would blame you for leaving them. Yeah, yeah. You, you can no. desert them. <laughs> yeah, I have now, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I just became more of a Ravens fan. It's quality organization uh you know i, lo- I love harbaugh you know I, yeah i like the whole good dude the, it's a it's a, it's a good group. place to see a and game you know it's a, it's a great fan experience yeah. i mean now you and know we own the stadium and we've upgraded it's it it's, yeah, the fan experience is like night and day yeah oh my FedEx god field. from fedex yeah holy yeah. cat i've brought like friends that you know are in the washington area and they haven't been to a ravens game and they go to the governor's box and they're like oh this is unbelievable yeah. <laughs> they're not going back to the, the you know the commodores or whatever they want to call yeah. them <laughs> you gotta get a like a, yeah commodores you gotta get a homeless rickshaw four and a half miles to get to the metro yes yeah. it's it's, it's but, unbelievable how bad that look, is. Look, we, we want them to stay in Maryland. and uh, I was going to say, I do think you? they are going to stay in Maryland. But uh, I noticed you've been in on we this. we got to turn the thing around. They, you, that program's yeah. got to get fixed. Yeah. It really does. It's been too long. You know, I, I you know I was at a Super Bowl in, in the '70s when they, you know back, that's how far back I go. Last time I think they, were, they won a game. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they but, they uh, beat my Minnesota Vikings in 1987 wow. in yeah, the NFC beat, Championship. That still hurts. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Beat uh-huh. the Broncos. That was that was rough. Well, you guys might have to come up for there's a preseason uh, Commanders Ravens game. Maybe you have to come up and yeah. hang out with us. Wow. I love that. I love. I mean, that. we're not going to waste a real game on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Preseason, man. I don't blame you. Do not blame I love me. that the governor totally gets it. Yeah. Right? He's like, yeah, no, no, we'll pat you on your head. Yeah, that's good. Happy to do that. I've had two or three bourbons. I'm ready to do that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, you know, we have a box at the, at the Commander Stadium and the Orioles and the Ravens. So Orioles aren't bad this year either. I can't either. give the tickets away to the Commanders. Like, Ravens, I have 100 people <laughs> hey. for every seat begging me to come. And I'm like, hey, would you like to go to the uh, Washington game this weekend? Nah. Nah, <laughs> thanks, though. <laughs> thanks, anyway. Well, unless you can helicopter me into the 50-yard line. Yeah. That's the only way I can get there. Yeah. Um, all right, so here really is the three questions. Okay. All right. So the first one is, and I'm actually sincerely interested in this. Uh, Unlike it, all the other stuff it, we talked about. It feels about right. The, the, if you can plan your last meal on Earth, wow. what would it be? Well, um, uh, it would probably have bourbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah to absolutely. start out, good because that makes whatever you're eating, you know, because yeah. eat tastes better. I, I don't remember that. I mean, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, I'm a eater. You could tell by looking at me. I like to eat, uh, but it wouldn't have to be anything fancy. I think I'm, a, I'm Italian food. Some, I mean, I might go pizza or some pasta or something would be my last meal, and it doesn't have to be. Anything Is there a specific pizzeria or restaurant? I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a connoisseur of pizza, but Good. you know, oh, I don't yeah. have one okay. particular one. I'll eat just about any. You know, I'll try them all. Do you, so. Are you like a designer pizza guy? Or are you like a football de- pizza guy? I'm a football pizza guy, but yeah. I'll I'll try the designer stuff. I'm like that's pretty good, but you know, I need the basics. So I grew up in Prince George's County, and so Lido Pizza, is yeah. A, okay. yeah, you know, famous. In the squares. I, I went to Damatha, so you got the you know, we don't cut corners, the squares with yeah. the pepperoni <laughs> oh, on yeah. top, you know, right. Right, so, that's probably what I would do. Good pizza and bourbon. Uh, those guys just probably got they 
they're going to be calling me. Thanks for the plug, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, bourbon and pizza, yeah. Bourbon and pizza is a great pick. It's not bad. Yeah. Well, you got to have a beard also. Yeah. <laughs> but your bourbon you're, pizza. You're, beer. you're governor of, of Maryland. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't. I didn't hear a crab crab cake. That's in the best there. part about this answer. answer. You know what? That's uh, the best part. Say, yeah, I love crab cakes. Too. That's so, the best part. So honestly, I well, I love crabs and I love crab. We have the best crab cakes at the governor's mansion, and I eat crabs all day long. But that would sound like I was pandering. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I, but you know, when no one was looking, I would probably. Eat yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I, these three questions. I respect that. He, what he gets is that there's no wrong answer, but there's inauthenticity. Yeah. And you can see right through that kind of thing. Well, you just, go with the well you know, I, yeah. honestly, I think people say, How are you so popular in the Democratic state? I think being sincere and authentic is the thing. People are like, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I never voted for Republican, but you seem like you're a regular guy. And I go, I am a regular guy. <laughs> just the dude. I'm the dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, second question. If you didn't get back into public service, yeah, right. If you if you something happened, you just chose. I know if you were running, you would have won. So, but if you chose not to run, and there's an eight year hole, and you can fill it with whatever you want, and let's back that up. It's like it's not like I would just run my business. Yeah, blue sky this thing for yeah. us. Blue how sky. do you fill that time? Um, how do you fill the time? Well, look, I mean, other than being governor, which was a really great. Great job, probably one of the best jobs I've had. The best job I had before that was I was a lifeguard uh, selling suntan lotion in Florida to spring breakers. <laughs> Sounds like a great job. So if I can't, <laughs> an amazing answer. So if for I, so if I, many reasons. Look, if I can't, if I can't, you know, run for president, I could always retire to Florida. I mean, it won't be the spring breakers at the pool on the beach, but maybe I could sell suntan lotion, suntan, you know, sunscreen gel at a retirement community or something. I'd love to see Hogan with uh, like the red shorts, yeah. those shirt yeah. hassle hopping it across yeah. the. Yeah, my, my hairy chest, you yeah. know, profiling. Yeah. Just out here saving kids today, folks. I mean, I really did that. I so mean, I, I worked for a suntan lotion nose? company in Florida. Yeah. Sell, being a lifeguard at a pool, it was, it was until governor was the best job I had. Yeah. Wow, well, that, I mean, it's a pretty, well, if you got that job in California, it pays pretty well, too. I don't know if you yeah, saw well, that. Yeah. It's wow. like a half million dollars that you get for being a lifeguard it's in California. Bad. Not bad. I'm guessing they didn't see that. I'm not as quick as I used to be, but I could still swim. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, so last question. This is where we get into like the esoteric what motivates yeah. Governor Hogan. So the way we see it, people are motivated by one of two things. It's either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody enjoys losing or yeah. anybody you know doesn't feel good about a, a victory. It's what sticks with you, right? So the agony of defeat person is somebody whose every victory they've ever had in life, they enjoy for like 10 seconds yeah. But every setback they've ever had, they wear like a backpack. Yeah. Right? And the thrill of victory person is somebody who's just a chronic optimist charging up the hill trying to accomplish the next thing. Those are the two poles. Where do you find yourself? Well, that's a really great question, first of all. Um, Thanks. And I don't want to... <laughs> we worked on that one. I don't want to, uh, you know, for the first time ever, like sound like I'm waffling because I'm really not, but... <clears throat> I'm motivated by both. So when the the thrill of victory is incredible, like you know, there's nothing better than that win in 2014. You know, when we pulled off what nobody believed was possible. 2018, when it was a really tough year in a tough state, a blue wave in a blue year, uh, we pulled off a huge, you know, you know, smackdown, uh, and, and uh, was probably the biggest win in the country in 2018. Um, so the victories are great. But I am motivated by the, the, the struggles, not, not maybe not in the defeats, but like the whole, you know, fighting the, when people, I think I'm most motivated by 
you know, doing the things that people say can't be done. When people say you can't do this, that's what motivates me. Not it's not the losses I do remember. I mean, when I battled cancer, I remember that. When we went through the riots, you know, when we were I was leading the governors' association through COVID. I mean, those are all struggles. I I'm going to remember. They motivated me, but the victories were sweeter. But I think the most motivating thing to me is somebody says I can't do something, I got to go prove them wrong. He's an agony defeat guy. It's agony an agony defeat, defeat guy. Yeah. <laughs> what am I? You not you may not know it, but in your heart, you're an agony yep. defeat guy. Well, so the the, the, the the race with Hoyer I was telling you about, it was like the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat in, in like 24 in hours. Crap. I won the biggest thing yeah. ever. Oh, crap. Crap, I lost. <laughs> but I was motivated. I've been going back to business. <laughs> yeah, right? Totally. Yeah, I'm no, going to wait 20 some years and be governor. An optimistic <laughs> agony of defeat guy. Yeah. Right. I think that's a fair diagnosis. I mean, shouldn't there. you learn from both? Yeah, you should. You should. That's that's the point. But it is there's an additional motivation there. I like the it's the touchiness on telling you you can't do it. The that, chip on the shoulder. The no, no, yeah. that's, that's the, the key. I mean Tell-tale I, I like proven people wrong. Yeah. You know, so. it's more fun than having people love you. Right. <laughs> See, it is. That's it. That's it's it. true. That's it. Right? It's true. Yeah. It's, people have range of answers, but when you give like a couple of little details like you just did, this is our this is our Dr. Phil segment. It is. This is what we do. <laughs> Every guy should be laying on a couch. <laughs> <Every episode. laughs> Listen, Governor Larry Hogan, we can't thank you enough. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for coming in studio. Thanks for the bourbon. We made a little dent in uh, it We here. drank half the bourbon. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so for it's the, been a for, great interview. For the record. <laughs> but thank you, guys. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate the opportunity. You got it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. That's a home So Larry Hogan, certainly a different perspective than an awful lot of guests we've had. Um, but he, a real charming guy. Uh, and he brought us some bourbon. Yeah, I, I mean, I gotta say, if you bring me bourbon, already that's some points. Cutting taxes eight years in a row, that's some more points. And then if you endorse Foldy, I mean, that's it. That's it. crown right <laughs> that's there. How you get, that's how you get on the program, that's for sure. But you know what? I Like, here's the thing. And I know a lot of people nationally are like, oh, Larry Hogan, he's, he's a sellout. Well, you find me a Republican who can, with a 70% Democratic legislature, much out of the city of Baltimore, for crying out loud. Yeah. Past tax cuts for eight straight years. Right. Yeah, he's a Republican elected in Maryland. I mean, that works for me. <laughs> that works for me, right? I mean, I think we should draw a hard line between the Republicans who provide aid and comfort to Democrats and Republicans who serve their constituency and do conservative things, maybe not as conservative as we want all the time, but they're putting points on the board. Yeah. There's a real distinction there, right? And, and I think... Too often we we look at the the people that show up on CNN and the you know the Jeff Flakes of the world and and people that just try to sell us out at every corner and conflate that with people like Larry Hogan and I just don't think that's fair right I mean I, I think this guy's got a lot to offer we may not agree with him on everything but he certainly was a great guest and I, I was glad to have him in and if anything it's a it's a you know notice for red state governors that hey if you can get school choice if you can get tax cuts in in the bluest state in the country maryland yeah. we can get it done that's what the and people want and sell it and sell right? it because that's the it. people actually want it once it's there it's yeah. just a matter like you tell them to fuck off three times before you hand them their legislative proposal it doesn't get done yeah. even in really red states so in you know, maybe tone is an issue at times, right? <laughs> anyway, I, I, there's a time for fighting. There's a time for getting stuff done. I, I, I'm for both. And I got to tell you, this is a time for getting stuff done. Again, folks, the red wave is not something that's happening. The red wave is something we are doing. Everybody get involved. Find your local candidate. Get on board. Knock on doors. 
make those calls. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.